theyeshiva.net. Okay, just a few fast announcements before I begin. Um, this is our last class before Rosh Hashanah because next Tuesday I'm, uh, I'm out of town. I'm in Los Angeles uh, Monday evening, so I won't be able to be here Tuesday morning. So that's so. This is our last class before Rosh Hashanah, and that's number one. Number two, this Mitzray Shabbos, of course, is Slichus, and like we have every year in the tent, a pre-Slichus uh, Fabrengen Kumsitz. It's for men and women with a mechitza, and uh, that begins at ten o'clock p.m. Everybody is invited. Shabbos after Rosh Hashanah is Shabbos Shuva, and at five o'clock in the afternoon we have a Shabbos Shuva. Uh, drasha slash lecture also here in the tent for men and women. Everybody is invited to that as well. One of the very interesting things in the in the Jewish tradition during the coming weeks and really a whole year is the way we confess, the way we confess mistakes or transgressions, whether it's every day by davening or. Uh, in the Alchet, and especially during the time of uh, of Slichus and Aser Simei and Yom Kippur, where we repeat it many, many times, is Ashamnu, Bagadnu, Gazalnu, Dibarnu Doifi, Hevinu, Hirshanu. Basically, we go through the Aleph Beis, Ashamnu, Bagadnu, Gazalnu, Aleph Beis, Gimel. There's one term of confession using the beginning of each of the letters of the Hebrew alphabet, Aleph through Tav. The last one is, the last ones are Rashanu, Shichasnu, Ti'avnu, Ta'inu, Titanu. But they're always done in the plural. We, Ashamnu, we have sinned. Bagadnu, we have betrayed. Gazalnu, we have stolen. Dibarnu Daifi, we have spoken inadequately, etc. Always in the plural. The same is true with Yom Kippur and the Alchets. When we confess, it's always al-chait shechato nu lefanecha. The sin that we have sinned. There are a few expressions where you say chato si I, but for the most part, it's chato nu we. We have done it. This has uh, aroused the obvious question. And that is, it's very, it seems that this is not the way to confess. Imagine, I uh, let's say... Uh, a husband did something inappropriate or said something inappropriate, right? And he wants to make a confession to his spouse. Or conversely, a wife to a husband or a friend to another friend, whatever, any situation where there's a relationship and I feel like I want to say I'm sorry, I have remorse, and I want to apologize. So I come over to this person and I say, we, we insulted you. Uh, uh, you don't like, it's not happening, right? Why not? Uh, exactly. Own up to it. The least, the least you can do is say, I, I. The buck stops here. That's exactly what confession is. Confession is, I made a mistake. I feel bad about it. I want to say I'm sorry. The moment it becomes we, who, who's this we? We, the world, the planet, the universe, who, who, who's we? We, the United States of America, the government, who's we? <laughs> we the people? <laughs> we the people confess. The whole definition of confession is I'm taking responsibility. 
if I'm not taking responsibility, it's not a confession. If I'm blaming somebody else, right? You know those people saying, I'm sorry, but you're guilty. <laughs> right? I'm sorry. Thank you. You could just put it on the bimmer. Just put it on the bimmer. You know, I, I'm sorry, but you know who started. I'm sorry, but you know you're just extra sensitive. I'm sorry, but you really, really turned this around. You know, I'm sorry, but you know what you did yesterday. And then there is, I'm not even saying I, it's just, it's we. You would expect it should be a shamti, bagadati, kazalti. So it's interesting, why is it done in the plural? Yes, there are sometimes things that people do together, you know. It's a pack of wolves who decide together to make some trouble. But the, that, that's possible. But generally, it's about a personal relationship. Every person is davening. It's done, in the, it's done also in the quiet part of davening. It's between you and Hashem. Why don't I speak about me? Let me speak about my life. But you will almost not find any expression of I did it. It's always we. And who is this we? And what if it's not we? What, 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 what if I don't have anybody? What if it's not a communal thing? What if it's just between me, myself, and I, and another person? Why did they create this Nusach? And of course, this brings us to another question, and that is, and we have discussed this in the past, is the way it's usually done is, in most communities, it's done with a song. Right? We go, or later by the Alchet, it's like, V'yal kulam, no. Now imagine again, your husband comes to you and he wants to apologize. So he's like, We have done something wrong. We have betrayed you. Leave me alone, leave me alone. What is this, a Broadway musical? Lame is Rob. Come on, I don't understand. Well, you, you want to say something, say it. When you start making now a niggin from a confession, by definition, music is beautiful and songs are beautiful, but it, doesn't, it seems out of character because when I'm, if I'm expressing remorse, like, say what you want to say. You want to shed a tear, shed a tear. <laughs> I can understand that. Express an emotion, but somehow carving it into, putting it into <laughs> a musical tune seems out of character, and yet... Almost every time, at least in many communities, when we do the confession, we make sure to do it with a song and a communal song. And the song has a somber tone, but it also has a liveliness to it. So today I want to learn with you a piece about this. And it comes from a very interesting work known as Toldus Yaakov Yosef. Toldus Yaakov Yosef, which literally means the offspring of Yaakov Yosef, is... A sefer on Chumash, Bereish Shmois Vehikramid Badvarim, that was authored by a man named Rabbi Yaakov Yosef Hakoyen Katz. Katz. And he was one of the greatest and pro- one of the most primary students of the Balshemtiv. The Balshemtiv, who was born in 1698 on Chai Elul, the 18th of Elul, which is tonight. The 18th of Elul is the birthday of the Balshemtiv. And he was born in the year Nachas. 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 Nachas means Nachas, 
And you know what nachas means, right? Or you don't know what nachas means? Okay. So nachas means serenity, relaxation. Like noyach, noyach matzachein. So Moshe was born in the year Hey Allah from Nachas, which is equivalent to 1698 on the 18th of Elul, 12 days before Rosh Hashanah. It was also on a Wednesday, actually. Passed away Shvuas Tavkuf Chav 1760. But one of his greatest students was the Rav of the famous city of Pulna. Pulna was, had one of the largest Jewish communities in the Ukraine. And he was the rabbi, the Avbezdin of that community of that city. His name was Yaakov, Yaakov Yosef Akayan Katz. And he became one of the greatest students of the Baal Shem Tov. He was born, we're not sure which year, but approximately 1695, which means he may have been older than his teacher. And he passed away, Chavdala Tishrei Tovkov Membez, which would be 1742. 1742, in other words, 22 years. Uh, the Bashamtov passed away 1760, so, we, so he lived another 22 years. He passed away after, after Sukkot Tovkov Membez, 1782. And a year or two before, 1780, he published what was to become the first, probably the first Hasidic work ever published in print, or certainly one of the first, Toldus Yaakov Yosef, in which he compiled many of the teachings that he heard from his master, and also developed them in his own very original and profound and creative way. It's a very um, precious work for many reasons. One of them is that the Baal Shem Tov did not write down his teachings. We don't have anything written from him. So all of his teachings that we have come from his students, and therefore, Taldus Yaakov Yosef, who was a student who was by the Baal Shem Tov for decades and transcribed many things that he heard directly from him, is, is, the, is the source from which we know so much of the great teachings of the Baal Shem Tov, which, which, which infused the landscape of Judaism and the Jewish people with a tremendous sense of depth and sophistication and vitality. So this is a piece from the Taldus Yaakov Yosef. It's a lo- very long piece and an intricate piece. I didn't copy it all because it gets very long and elaborate and I, want to, I wanted to stick to the points. So I collected a few paragraphs and they're also not exactly in the same order, but it's all word for word from him. But I, I didn't take it exactly as is because it's extremely long. I just took a few paragraphs and organized them in a way that we should be able to appreciate the flow. It, it's actually in Parshas Vayakil, even though, because he's speaking about a Pasuk in Vayakil, even though, as I said, he's discussing the Ashamnu, the confessions of Slichus, and Elul, and uh, Aser Simei and Yom Kippur. He starts off with a question that somebody asked him. This is Rabbi Yaakov Yosef of Pulma. Told us Yaakov Yosef Vayakal. Nishalti, somebody asked me, I was asked, Ma'al be'emtza hashiras az yashir, anu maskirin, amar, oyev, erdoyev, asig, achalik, sholol, v'al kol ponem b'tchila, havalei l'meymarza. What he's asking is, somebody asked him an interesting question. We say every day the song of the Jewish people, the Shira, when they crossed the Red Sea and they were all saved and the Egyptians drowned. And afterwards, Az Yashem Moshe Bnei Yisrael, Moshe and the Jewish people sing. And it's a song in which they are grateful. They're expressing gratitude for what they have seen. And they describe the circumstances. So they start off, Ashira Hashem, I'm going to sing to Hashem. He took the horse and its rider and, and hurled it into the sea. And they speak about what happened to the chariots of Paroi and what happened to his army. And, uh, and then, of course, what happened to them. How the sea stood, how the water stood like a, like a fortress, like a wall. The expression is, with the spirit of your mouth, the water gathered and and they stood up 
They stood up, it was like a chayma, like a wall. Kafu sahayma is belev yam. The, the, the depths of the water congealed in the heart of the sea, meaning the water wasn't flowing anymore, but rather it stood straight so that we could walk through. And then in the middle of all that, he's already describing the miracle of Kriya Samzav and the Jewish people going through. He starts this whole pasuk, Amar Oyev Erdoif Asig Achalak Sholo Tibloemoy Nafshi the enemy said, I will pursue them. I will reach them. I will distribute their booty. We will take care of them, kill them and distribute their booty. And their booty, their spoil will fill my soul. I will unleash my sword and leave our impact on them with my hand. This is what the enemy says. They're describing now what the enemy thought, but it seems out of place here, out of context, because he's in the middle of describing after Pari drowned, he's describing the miracle of Kriyas Yamsov and what Hashem did to the Jewish people. And he continues that, and then suddenly, in the middle of that, they start talking about the schemes of the enemy. And the Talmud Yosef says, even if you want to talk about that, it should be in the beginning. When did Pari said, let me chase them? When? Before the splitting of the sea. The Jewish people left Egypt. And Pare said, let me pursue them. Even though he let them go, he had a change of heart. Let me pursue them. Let me find them. Let me bring them back. Let me get hold of their booty because they took out so much silver and gold and they emptied out Mitzrayim. So this is all what motivated Pare to chase them. And then when he comes, the sea splits and the Jewish people pass through and the Egyptians drowned. But this whole Pasuk, Omar, Oyev, Ertev, Asik, Achalik, Shalom. First of all, it seems out of context to him when you're talking about the miracle of the splitting of the sea to start talking about what Pari was thinking. And second of all, out of place. Chronologically, this happens early. This is what he was asked. One way of explaining this through an ethical approach is as follows. There was a king who ruled the world. He ruled the planet. Moshel Bekipa means he ruled the whole the whole earth. He wanted to know the loyalty of his subjects. So he took one of his beloved servants and he asked them to go visit all of the subjects, but to camouflage himself as though he is trying to revolt against the king. In other words, he shouldn't portray himself as a friend, as a servant. On the contrary, he should present himself as a moirid. He should call for revolution, for revolution. He wants to undermine the kingdom. So what happens? He starts. Some of the regions, some of the countries, or some of the states, or some of the cities, under this king, when this man came, and he called for rebellion and treason, they started to fight him. And they dominated him. Other parts of the kingdom said, you know what, the guy has a point. King is rotten. It's time for change. Let's join him. But there was one place, the people were very deep. They were very perceptive. And they began to investigate. This is very strange. And they realized after a while, that actually he's a messenger of the king. 
what he's saying and who he really is seem very different, but they're not. In other words, what he's saying, his mouth is saying, I want to rebel against the king. But really, this itself was part of his mission that came from the king. Yuuyun Sham, this marshal he still go, he said earlier, and he's saying you can go back to this metaphor, and he's again going to go back to this metaphor a little more. What's the point of it? A strange metaphor, what's the point? The point is that in one of the places, in some of the places, they identified him as an enemy of, the, of his majesty. This is the week that the world is busy with royalty, right? Her Majesty, Queen Elizabeth II, who died last week, last Thursday, and the coronation of the new king of uh, the British Commonwealth and the United Kingdom. So uh, it's nice that the world is talking about royalty because this is the time of coronation of Hashem as well. So the metaphor is very apropos. So when this person is sent by the king to see the state of all of the subjects, some take him at face value. You're trying to fight the king, we'll fight you. Some actually surrender to him and say, yes, we're with you. And he says, but then there is that place where the people are wise and deep. And their investigation shows that there's something off. He's not really an enemy. On the contrary, he's working for the king. And that changes it all. So he says, what's my point? Hanim shall move on. There's a profound messenger. There are people who wage war against the Yetzirah, against what we call the evil inclination. Why? Because he makes believe that he is a servant who rebelled, who betrayed his master, and his job is to entice people not to fulfill the desire of the Creator and the King of the Universe. So, so they wage a mighty and ferocious war against them. They stand up to the Yetzirah, and you know what? They win. They dominate him. They control him, like in the first regions of the country. How? They do it through all types of wars and battles, he says, including sigufim, which is sometimes forms of mortification. And then there are others who surrender to him. But then there's a third option. V'yesh b'nei adam, there are those people, shehir gishu, who feel, shehu oiseh ratzen That actually, the worst thing about the Yetzahara is that you think he's a Yetzahara. That you don't realize that he's actually a continuum of the Creator. He's fulfilling the will of the Creator. As I heard this from my teacher, and you have to understand this. This, right away, triggers our imagination. What is he saying? What does this metaphor represent in a person's life? So he continues, so here you right away see the difference. There are those who conquer their Yetzir through war. There are others who conquer their Yetzir too, but without any combat. 
The mighty person conquers his yetzer. Shenemai, the Pesach says in Mishle, Proverbs 16, Toiv erech hapayim migibar, umoishel beruchoy miloichid ir. The person who has patience could sometimes be far more powerful than the mighty man. And the person who knows how to control their own moods, who is aware, self-aware, is more powerful than the conqueror of a city. Understand this. Ecclesiastes chapter 9. Some people know how to rescue the city through their wisdom. In other words, there's a wisdom here that I don't have to battle him because I reveal that he's not really my enemy, he's not the king's enemy. So what I need to do is access the true message behind this person. And what's the true message? The true message is that really what he's doing is something that the king asked him to do on his behalf. In other words, there's two ways of looking at him. Externally, he's rebelling against the king. Internally, he's actually doing something that is a shlichus. It's a mission from the king. The king wanted to understand and appreciate who his subjects are. So this is a way of examining who the person is and allowing the person to identify their true connections, their true priorities. Ivra, on the other hand, yesh makam loimar, shazah gibber haloichem tamadim yitzra yoim velayla lo yishbois. You could say, maybe there's an advantage in the first case, because of their courage to fight. The Chavis HaLavavis says, Maimir HaChachem, the wise man said, Shebetoim melchama ketana, hechinu lemelchama gedoyle melchemes yetzahara. The Chavis HaLavavis says that they once came back from battle, and the wise man said, Okay, now that you finished the small war, let's get ready for the big war. He said, What big war? We just had a big war. He says, No, 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 inside. Big war is inside the heart, not outside. That's what the Chavis HaLavavis says. Adif mizeh HaChachem sheyedeya bepam achas eide chachmasoy. You might say, the first is more advantageous. You know why? Because it takes courage. The Mishnah says, it says in The reward is always based on the pain, no pain, no gain. And because the battle is ferocious, so their growth is much greater. So maybe that is much better to identify him as an enemy. And then you have to fight. The other one doesn't identify him as an enemy. He just sees him as an ally. So there's no fight. There's no war. He says once he realizes who he is through his chachmah, that he's really a servant of the king. And he rescues his whole city, meaning his whole body, his whole identity. And then there's no work anymore. It seems no work. He says, but it's not so simple. The Torah tells us, even this wise person who sees the Yetzirah as a servant of Hashem and not as an opponent, not as an enemy that you have to fight. On the contrary, you have to understand who he is. It's not just a one-time event and you do it and you're done. He has to always be alert, always be conscientious and aware. Why? Because this servant who feigns and makes believe that he is a rebel and an enemy of the king. Even though he came between deep people, 
who realized that he's a servant of the king, very often he goes in circles and comes from a different angle. He does this perpetually. So your thought process can get deceived because he comes in different forms and different mutations. You know how viruses mutate, right? Because your body builds up a defense system. So if the virus comes the same way, it won't be able to spread throughout the body, throughout the cells, because our immune system has already built the antibodies, the mechanisms to fight over this virus. So the virus goes through mutations. And the mutation my body is unaware of, and now it could permeate, penetrate the cell and hijack the cell, and the cell starts replicating that virus and it spreads throughout the body. You know how viruses work, yeah? So this is what he's describing. In, in his age, they didn't know about viruses because they didn't have the microscopic instruments to know that a virus exists or bacteria exists or infections exist or germs exist. They didn't exist. Not corona and nothing else. So, but he's describing the mechanism, the spiritual mechanism. The Yitzhar, he goes through a mutation. So the war still exists. It's not a war against him. It's a war with my, how do I handle my own thoughts that say, no, no, he is an enemy, he is an enemy, he is an enemy, because he's now coming through different mutations, and you have to always rediscover he's not an enemy, he's, he's, he's God's, God's servant. And sometimes he can even entice somebody to do what looks like is a mitzvah, a great thing. He says it's like the bee. You want the honey that the bee produces. The problem is one can get bitten. We tell the bee, I don't want your honey and I don't want your bite. So he says sometimes the mutation comes in such sophisticated ways that it can entice a person to do something that would be positive and yet there can be a bite over there and then the person doesn't know who am I dealing with? What am I dealing with? And I always have to re, reorient my mind and my brain to be able to re-identify this enemy as really a representative of the king. In Halal, there's an interesting piece, and it seems very redundant. It's close to the end of Halal. David HaMelech says like this, Kol goyim svavuni, B'shem Hashem ki amilam. All the nations have surrounded me. In the name of God, I will cut them down. Sabuni gam svavuni b'shem Hashem ki amilam. They surrounded me, and now they encircled me. In the name of Hashem, I'll cut them down. Sabuni chidvayrim. They encircled me like bees. Doyachu keish koitzim. But they will burn like a fire burns the thorns. B'shem Hashem ki amilam. So you have this redundancy, but actually not twice, three times. Three times he says, Kalgoyim Svavuni, they surrounded me. Then again, Sabuni Gam Svavuni, and then again, Sabuni Chidvarim. Three verses in the Halal, Tehillim Kof Yud Ches, Yud Yud Aleph Yud Beis. V'gam Shinri B'chol Gimel Bavis, but also each time it's different. V'pam Aleph Nisker Svavuni, V'baba Beis, Beis Pamim Svavuni, V'baba Gimel Sabuni Chidvarim. In the first Pasuk, he just uses the word svavuni. All the nations svavuni, they surrounded me. In the second pasuk, sabuni gam svavuni. 
They surrounded me, they encircled me, and they surrounded me. And then in the third Pasuk, they're like bees. So first of all, why are you saying the same thing three times? But each time, you do it a little bit different. But Zayuva now will understand. Kol goyim svavuni, the nations that surrounded me is a metaphor. This is the Yitzhar that comes to entice the person to rebel against his master and emulate nations that are alien to the master. How do I cut them down? Through the name of Hashem. How do you cut it down? So he says, I meditated and realized that in him, in the enemy, there is also Hashem's name. He is also carrying Hashem's name. He is really the servant of the king. Who comes to tempt the person. He changed his language and he changed his cloak. And therefore, I could think that he's an enemy. But if I could look beyond the facade and I could look beyond the tongue, I could see that he's really an extension of the king. So b'shem Hashem, when I realize that there's the name of Hashem in him, when I can identify Hashem in him, the enemy is gone, because he's not an enemy anymore. So now he leaves. <laughs> he can't get me anymore, because I realize he's not a Yetzirah. So now you think, okay, your job is over. No war. Says, Problem is, there are mutations. Comes around from a different angle. Goes in circles. He comes from another angle and says, I am an enemy. I am an enemy. No, you're a friend. No, I'm an enemy. Makes another mutation. This is the enemy. This is the enemy. And each time I have to rediscover the truth. There's no enemy. The second time again, twice, circling, circling. That's why you can't have it in the first Pasek, because this is the mutation, and another mutation, another mutation, another mutation. How many mutations do viruses go through? Endless. That's why there are viruses thousands of years. It's all the same virus that mutated. And yes, it just looks different. Same poor force. Here it's in the positive. He looks like a different Yetzirah. There's a famous expression in Yiddish, yeah? Nobody knows this expression. Ask your grandmother. They stopped using it in America, but uh, it was very popular at some point. Which means, is just the gown is different. <laughs> the outfit is different. <laughs> Here it's in the positive sense. You identify that the Yetzirah is really a shliach of Hashem and is not evil. It just feels like he's negative. Granted, so now is serenity. He says the problem is he redresses. Anders Geshlayet. There's a new gown, there's a new outfit, there's a new thought, there's a new process. Sabuni gam sabuni. And again, I have to say, I see Hashem's name inside of you. And then you have the third one. V'zel shekasuv. When the Yetzirah sees that it already came in a thousand mutations and you don't see it as a Yetzirah, what does he do? He does the last thing. So now he turns himself into a Yetzirah. Maybe that's how he'll get me. <laughs> he'll get me by making himself a Yetzirah. That's like the bee. I'm going to give you honey. Still I'll see Hashem's name even in you. 
even inside of you, I'll see it, and therefore it won't create the chaos. So a person always has to be alert. This is what consciousness really means, to be able to have that consciousness of how to see, of how to see this element. Now, what does this all mean? How does this apply to life? How do we make it practical? What does this mean? So here, let's see another two paragraphs, and then we'll, we'll, we'll be able to apply it much easier. Ubiartiza. I explained this already. And here he goes into the marshal. He, here he goes into the marshal with more length. He says, I told you about the metaphor that I heard. I heard probably from the Baal There was a king and his, his malchus, his royalty extended over many countries, close and far. He wanted to appreciate and understand if the relationship of the people with him is authentic. It's true. He sent one of his loyal servants. But he made him change his, 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 his cloak, his ksus, ksus is your outfit, and loshen, his language. Both his garment and his language were saying that he wants to fight the king. So the king sent him with a change of garments and language to represent him. How to represent him? By saying and expressing the fact that I'm here to destroy the king. So the good people got up to fight. Treason. You're married by Malchus. Then there was another group. They said, Why should we fight him? If you're the new king, we want to be good with you. We'll become your servants. <laughs> you know what? If you're success, we don't have loyalties. If you're the man, we'll be yours. We're fine. We don't care. We don't need the king. We're fine. So second group. Till he came to one region, and there were very, very wise people there. They started to investigate. They started to listen to him. They started to ask questions. And they started to see cracks in everything. Whatever he was saying, you know, you see cracks, you know when investigators start investigating, this doesn't stim with this, this is inconsistent with this. If you're really, really a rebel against the king, something is not working. They realize that his literal story is not making sense. And they came to the conclusion that he's camouflaged. He's really a messenger of the king, to see and test and elevate. Nasus means test and also elevate. The people, see if they're going to rebel against the king. So they came out to him. And they told him this, they said, we know who you are. We know who you are, we're not threatened. And he was so uh, pleased, he was so energized by their wisdom, and he left. The Zoyar says, The Zoyar says that the Yitzhara is like a Zoyna, a promiscuous woman, that was hired and sent by the king to try and influence the prince in a negative way. She and the king both want him not to listen to her. 
because she's loyal to the king. If he listens to her, it's going to be painful for her too. And yet she can't tell that to him, because if she tells it to him, it becomes a pointless experience. So he hears from her that she wants to be promiscuous. What she's really hoping for is that he could see beyond, beyond and understand that she doesn't want it. In other words, the way he will satisfy her is by telling her no. If he tells her yes, it's actually a terrible letdown for her. She's going to grieve. Hagam sheyesh pnimi. But there's a very deep thing here. And this is what I heard from my teacher about how we confess. Ashamnu. We sinned. We sinned. Shahamelech ba'atzmoi ksus veloshen shino. One second. If the Yetzirah is a servant of the king, so what does that mean? It's the king himself who came to me as the Yetzirah, but he changed his outfit and he changed his language. Ubalich b'shamalka. And he came to conquer the queen. But who came to conquer the queen? I think it's an alien stranger that came to conquer. It's an expression from Achashverish, right? He's told Haman, Hagam samalka imi baboyis. You're going to conquer the queen, me in the house, and Haman is killed. But here, who's conquering the queen? The king himself. But he's dressed up differently. So you could think it's a stranger trying to conquer the queen, and really it's the king himself conquering the queen. V'day bazela maven. This will be enough for somebody who understands. So why do we say Ashamnu in the plural? You understand what he's saying? Why? Very good. I'm talking to Hashem and I say, Ashamnu, we did this together. I did it, but somebody else also did it. Who's the other? <laughs> you! <laughs> you! But God knew, Gazal knew, Of course it's in the plural. It's you and me together. We were in cahoots. You know that you were dressed up. And that's what, that is what confession is. <laughs> what confession really is, is we could think what confession is, oh, I'm horrible, I'm horrible, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. That's one level. There's a much deeper level of confession. That's what he says, inyan pnimi. What is it? The confession is realizing that it was you. <laughs> that you're behind it. This is a very profound idea. I heard from my teacher. I received from my teacher. When a person experiences distress, and distress could come in many ways. There's physical distress, but there's emotional distress. There's psychological distress. There's spiritual distress. But I'm in a very stressful place, what's called an anxious place, a place of anxiety. If you could pay attention to the fact, that this anxiety, this tsar, is essentially Hashem Himself. But it's dressed up in a very, very dense garment. When you know this, you strip the garment, you see through it. And then the very distress becomes nullified. And that harsh negative decree I feel in my life opens up. My teacher elaborated on this. The words that came from the mouth of a wise man are truly, truly gracious. And here he says, come back to Kriyas Yamsuf of a moment. 
כאשר שמעתי ממנו גם כן עניין ה' אלפין עומר אויב ארדוף אסגה חלק. Now we understand why in the middle of the Shira, suddenly we start talking about Paray's thoughts. But he says, look, this is the one Pesach in there that has five consecutive Alephs. Omar, Oyev, Erdoif, Asig, Achalik. Whenever you do the Shira, you'll notice it from now on. Five consecutive Alephs is very real. You don't have that. The enemy said, I will pursue, I will reach, I will distribute the booty. Omar, Oyev, Erdev, Asig, Achalik, Shalal, etc. Why? Aleph represents one. Aleph is the Rashatevis Echot. Aleph is number one, right? Aleph is the first letter. Aleph also means Alufoy Shalom. The word Aleph means Aluf. Aluf is the leader, the ruler, the governor, the general, the commander. So Aleph is Alufoy Shalom, the king of the world, the ruler of the universe. So he says, My teacher said, that Omar, Oyev, Erdoif, Asig, Achalek is five Alephs. It's Aluf, Oyshalaylam. One second, listen to the words. My enemy said, let me pursue them, let me reach, reach them, let me grab their booty and distribute it. That's Pari, that's not Hashem. So why does it start with an Aleph? That means that what seems like my enemy who's coming to fight the God inside of me, really it's also Aleph. So Aleph is dressed up in thoughts that are alien to Aleph. That's so strange. He's my enemy. He's saying, I want to destroy you. And I want to destroy the divine in you. No, it's the divine talking. His language changed. So his message could be very, very, very disturbing. Because like in the metaphor, the person is saying, we're going to rebel against the king. And who's talking? The king is talking through him. He just told him, this is the new language. It's like the king talking through him. So the Baal Shem Tov said it's five Alephs because each, each word is coming from Aleph, but it's Behester, it's concealed. So this is the main Shira. This is, this is the main part of the song. What's the song? They felt exile means that you feel that there's an enemy. The greatest moment of redemption is not that I got away from my enemy. Suddenly my oyev became my oyev. Yeah, that's the five olives. That's the five olives. The Oyev, my enemy, Omar Oyev, when I realize that it starts with an Aleph, that the Omar Oyev Erdoif Asig. Last week she also knew with Yiyush. Our same genius. And this week I didn't give it away in the beginning. In the beginning, what is it? It's five Alephs that are concealed. It's Omar Oyev. The enemy speaks. I have an enemy. I have a real enemy. I'm fighting with a real enemy who wants to kill me. Either I win or he wins, or I surrender. That's the metaphor, either I win or he wins. The real Geula was that I realized, who is Baruch? No. The words sound like it's coming from an enemy. It's really my best friend. It's an Oyev. It's five Alephs. So what happens? I realize that the very experience that seemed so harsh and negative and toxic... He says, Hu etzem is baruch, it's Hashem. Vizel atzmus ha 
This is the essence of redemptive consciousness. This is the core of Geula. And what does he mean is the core of Geula? The word Geula is exactly the same word like Goyla. <laughs> Goyla means exile. Gimel Vav Lamed Hey. Geula should be a different word, no? Exile and redemption should have different words. One should have a one word and one should have another word. It's exactly the same letters. What's the difference between Goyla and Geula? Aleph. That Aleph. Omar Oyev Erdev Asik. So what turns Goyla into Gula? You don't change it. You reveal the Aleph in the Goyla, in the exile. I reveal the Aleph and suddenly it became Gula. It became redemption. Don't think this is a story that happened then. This exists in every person at every moment of the day. Because the story of Golos Mitzrayim is not just a story that happened. It's a story that exists in every person. It's a state of mind. There's a state of mind when I am in Egyptian exile in Golos. And that's why the Pasuk says, before Kriya, we say it before the Shoifer blowing, it's also from Halal. Min HaMeitzar Karasi Ya Anani Bamerchavya. From this, Meitzar means distress. Like the word Mitzrayim. Mitzrayim comes from the word Meitzar. Mitzrayim means Egypt. But Mitzrayim comes from the word Meitzar. Meitzar means um, constrictions and restrictions, confinements. Bein HaMitzarim is between the, between the restrictions. Meitzar is also a border, right? Like walls, Mitzarim. Meitzar of your, of, your, of your gvul, of your property. It's where it ends. Sometimes a person is confined. I'm confined in between walls. I'm I feel tight. You feel uptight. You feel butterflies in your torso. I feel anxiety. I'm, I'm feeling tight. We feel uptight. We feel crushed. We feel downtrodden by the load of life which keeps me down and tight. It says that Bilam's donkey couldn't go anymore because it was Makam Tsar. It was a very narrow place. And there was an angel in front. There was a wall here and a wall there. So literally couldn't do anything. It had to crouch. That's what got Bilam so upset. So he says, Min yutke. I call out from the Meitzar. And what happens? Anani yutke. I say, answer me from a place of expansiveness. So most people would translate, I call from a place of distress, and I ask you, please answer me from a place of expansiveness. He's saying it's really much deeper. He's saying, Min yutke. It's not, I call you from a place of distress. Min hametzar, from the Meitzar, I identify the Yutke. I identify the Shem Hashem in the Meitzar. Ubatzar hirchaftali. It says in Tehillim chapter 4, Batzar, in Tzar, in distress, you have made me expansive. Shezeu ha-gu'ula atzmai. Wow. The gu'ula is not, I left the Tzar. The gu'ula is, Batzar hirchaftali. You have shown me the expansiveness in the Tsar, in the Mitzrayim, in the Oyev, you showed me the Oyev. Not that I left it. The Anani Bamerchav is Min HaMeitzar, from the Meitzar, I found the Merchav. Batzar Hirchavtali. Vahavin, understand this. Vishapri Yashaychus La Shira, Omar Oyev Erdev Asik Vakalahavin. So, of course, in the middle of the Shira, this Pasik belongs, Omar Oyev Erdev. It's not they're telling a story about Parai. They're being grateful for the miracle of Kriyas Yamsov. What's the great miracle of Kriyas Yamsov? 
that we learned that the thoughts of the enemy, the very thoughts of the enemy were really your thoughts. And if they were your thoughts, when, when we could see the truth, it's not my enemy, it's my friend. And the Gullahs became the Gula. So of course that belongs in the Shir. That's what they're grateful for. That the Omar, Oyev, Erdev, Asagachalik, I discovered that it's all five Alephs. Right. Do you Oyev and Oyev. Very good. Yes. Oyev is Yud, Aleph of Yud Vez. Oyev is Aleph of Hey Vez. Together it's a Yud, which becomes a Hey. Min Hametzar, Karasi Yudke, Anani Bamerch of Yudke. It's turning the Yud into the Hey. Yud is also a very tiny point. It's the smallest letter. It represents complete restriction. You can't get a letter that's smaller than Yud, right? It's a seminal point. I mean, you can get smaller and smaller, but at some point you're going to have some type of point. And that's a Yud. It's a Nakuda. It's called a Nakuda. It's a seminal point. The He is expansiveness. The He is an elaborate letter, right? The He takes that Yud and expands it in all directions, in height and in breadth. And in depth, the hay in all directions. You have the roof of the hay. You have the right leg of the hay. You have the left leg of the hay. You have it also in breath. So it takes the yud and it expands it into hay. That's yud and hay. So that's the min hametza karasi yudke. I can identify the b'shem Hashem kiyamilam anani b'merchav yudke b'tzarer chaftali. So the ayiv becomes the ayiv. The yud becomes the hay. The yud is small because sometimes the divine presence shows up in the form and in the garment of restrictedness. That's the whole point. The king is present in this man, but he has a different outfit, and he has a completely different language. Now, what we're learning here, what we're really seeing here is, and, and he identifies it, what we would call in English a paradigm shift. And he literally identifies that there are different paths. It's not one path. He spoke about this shliach of the king that comes to entice rebellion. What's the right thing to do? One group, which is very righteous, says, let's fight him. They arrest him. They incarcerate him. And maybe they even subdue him. And they're great tzaddikim. There's the other country who surrenders to him. Okay, they show weakness. They're not loyal. We understand that. And then there's the third level. The third level, they don't arrest him and they don't incarcerate him and they don't destroy him because they actually see him as an ally of the king. The problem is there's going to be a mutation. Tomorrow, it's going to be a new guy. They'll do it again. And a new guy, they'll do it again. Sabuni He's going to come asking to do mitzvahs, but really it's the Yetzirah, but really it's also the Yetzirah. It becomes very complicated of how many mutations he does. And that's why he says it's not like only the first group has courage, the second, this group also has to have courage, it's a different type of courage, you have to have courage with your thoughts, how you deal with it. Now, I would like to phrase, to phrase this paradigm that he's re- re- expressing in a, in, in a personal and relevant emotional way in our lives. There's probably a lot of different ways to extrapolate this idea, to turn the yud into a hey, to expand on it, but I think this is one, one possible formula. I get many emails from lots of very interesting types of people from all over the world. And not infrequent, I can't say so frequent today, but not, uh, it used to be more frequent, but not infrequent, I'll get an email from, from very good people, from good, good, you could see good people, caring people, God-fearing people. And 
they have a very strong complaint. The complaint is as follows. I'm just I'm, I'm paraphrasing different expressions. It's not necessarily verbatim, but the idea people often write, and that is, it seems that so many ideas, and they, they listen to my classes, and I guess other people's classes, and they say so many things really seem to contradict so much of what I thought was the right way of living. A woman wrote to me the other day, she heard a three and a half uh, session I did with Rabbi Shimon Russell, maybe some of you heard it a few months ago, about education. On Coach Menachem, the Lakewood uh, Sunday program with uh, my friend Asher Parnas and, and, and Coach Menachem, Rabbi Menachem Burns, we were on together about Chinuch. This person wrote to me a very long email, maybe three or four pages, which is a chiddush in an email. I know it took me time to read and answer. And the message was, you know, this whole thing of, of she writes to me, you think somebody asked me how I felt when I was a girl? What's this whole thing of worshipping emotions? Anayamaisa. How do you feel? You just said it's true, right? Very good. <laughs> You're anxious, really? Why are you anxious? Somebody asked me about my anxiety when I was a kid, when I was a teenager. Somebody asked me if I want to go to therapy. Somebody even acknowledged emotions. Somebody even asked me, are you happy? Are you sad? Why are you sad? Can you feel your body? Really? I have to start feeling? Now we're doing somatic therapy? I have to feel my pain and process it and then honor it and have compassion and embrace it and now caress it and give it a teddy bear, give it a lollipop. You need to go out for a milkshake today, Pilates, yoga, therapy, more therapy, the gym, swimming, a massage, another one. Take a walk, journal, dance. There's a husband coming home, there's laundry, there's cooking, there's kids, there's Rosh Hashanah, there's Yom Kippur, there's Elul, there's Shuvah, there's Kajman Nefesh. We put one foot ahead of another foot and we march forward. We are soldiers fighting a war. We're not processing emotions. And in this person's words, words the Gentile liberal progressive agenda of turning everybody into a victim and turning everybody into narcissistic egotistical, self-centered recipients of incessant therapy is destroying a generation. Nice email? Well put. Okay. She was articulate. She wishes she had that. In other words, she is completely unaware, you're saying. She says she might need therapy herself. So imagine if I would write that back. <laughs> you need some st- her therapy. What are you, what, what's the anger that's coming up for you, right? It's obviously triggering her. Right. My session with her triggered her terribly. So I get such emails a few times a week of people, and they're, they're good people. They're good people. I can't say they don't trigger me, but... Uh, <laughs> But that's my own stuff, right? But some of them are very concerned. And, and this happens especially in the world of education. Especially in the world of education. The world of chinuch. 
Some say, you know, we're around thousands of years and there was a method. And the method was very, very strict rules and the fact that we don't deal so much with emotions. We deal with Avedas Hashem. You serve God. And then there's this whole new philosophy. Tune into the child. Understand the child. Make him feel seen, soothed, secure, safe. Really? Whoever saw me? Well, now some people see me. <laughs> but I'm not, I'm not sure that's the type of seeing that children need. They don't need a billion people, to, a million people, or a hundred people to see. They need one or two people to see them, really. They're primary caregivers. Somebody soothed me. Somebody made me feel safe. Somebody made me secure. And everybody has a story. And how about your grandmother? You know what your grandmother went through? Who soothed her? Who soothed her? You know what she saw all around her? You know what your mother saw? You know, look at her. Learn from your mother. And now suddenly we feel guilty. Sitting in America and Muncie, Sira Basar, wherever you're sitting, right? And this person is in therapy. I feel anxious. I feel anxious because my son told me X, Y, Z. Really? And how did your mother feel in 1946 with her anxiety? Your mother would have gone to therapy in 1946. Thousand years of therapy wouldn't have helped. MS, what they do? They moved on. They set to Hillam. They had a moon and they created beautiful families. Did I trigger you? Just joking. Just joking. Just joking. I know you have a job. Some people work for a living. Oh. So, like in everything, that's de- when you're dealing with emotions and you're dealing with Avoid Hashem, and you're dealing with people's lives, and you're dealing with growth, growth, you know, black and white statements are usually very not authentic. Because they just, they're very superficial. Different views, sometimes opposite views, each have seeds of truth in them. Like there's a famous expression, ain't toiv beloi rav, ain't rav beloi toiv. You know, every idea, every philosophy, there's something there. You can extract a seed of truth from it. And conversely. And that's obviously truth. True. And when we hear different people expressing different opinions, we always want to ask ourselves, is there something I could learn from? Ezo chacham haloimed mikol adam. Mikol adam doesn't mean a chacham is somebody who learns from the people that he likes. <laughs> that I identify with. Then I don't have to be a chacham for that. I listen to the people I like. Ezo chacham mikol adam means every person can teach me something. Every person. In other words, the person who I disagree with can also teach me something. Even if he triggers me. (laughs) That itself can teach me something. The fact that you're triggering me so badly, wow, that's interesting. What am I afraid of? That's what what a real chacham is. But here I believe in this piece of the Tokos HaKavesh with the name of the Baal Shem Tov, we have an extremely elegant model to really appreciate how generations evolve. The Toldos Yaakov Yosef said there's two ways of dealing with the Yetzirah. And he didn't say the first way is not true. The first way is, there's a Yetzirah, and the Yetzirah is saying bad things. It's saying destructive things. What do you do? You fight it. How do you fight it? However you can. One way of fighting it is, putting it in a closet, and closing the lock. One way of fighting it is punching it in the nose and making it so bloody and wounded that it's literally disabled. It's a vegetable. 
It's not going to come back so fast. Maybe you'll recover after nine years. You'll punch it out again for another 20 years. Another way of fighting it, as he says, is tiny as v'sigufim. I really weaken it. I weaken it. I mortify myself. There were people who fasted and fasted and fasted until their bodies became so, like, it didn't have a say anymore. What's the common denominator in all of these? The common denominator is there is an enemy of the Rebbeinu Shalolim. There's an Oyev. And there's a Yetzirah, and you got to fight him. And if you don't fight him, he will take over your life and destroy it emotionally, physically, spiritually, psychologically. MS. MS. But sometimes those are the tools I have. Sometimes those are the tools I have. There's an enemy here, and the way is turn away, suppress, repress, hide, lock up, get angry, beat him up, and say, don't come back. And for two weeks you won't hear. He'll come back, you'll beat him up again. Those are the ways. Now this is all happening inside. Anybody here ever suppressed an emotion? Don't all answer at the same time. Did your mother ever suppress an emotion? (laughs) Anybody ever got angry at an emotion? Don't all answer at the same time, please. Did anybody ever get angry at themselves? Really? Jewish mothers? Did anybody ever feel guilty about what they're feeling? And we start arguing with ourselves, why am I feeling this way? I shouldn't be feeling this way. I should be proud, right? I'm probably not davening enough. I'm not saying enough to Hillam. I'm not doing enough mitzvahs. I'm not like my Baba. What are all those thoughts? Those thoughts that don't stop, especially in the minds of some of us, right? And it's called incessant mental chatter. You familiar? There's like a narrator who's always this, and that doesn't stop. You think I'm bad? That guy is much worse. Doesn't stop. Doesn't care if there's cameras, there's no cameras in the middle of the night, the middle of the day. <laughs> Could be after your child's wedding, after the mitzvah. Always chatter, always commentary. It's like CNN on 24 7 commentary. Sometimes it's Fox, sometimes it's CNN. Far right, far left, Michigan, Gansa, Michigan. And always commentary. And always finds the problem and the flaw. And then there's the, right, and then there's the counter argument because you're smart. So you're busy, we're busy. No, you're wrong. No, it was nice. It was a nice simcha. No, it wasn't. No, it was nice. And then you get a call in the morning. Your sister-in-law was the most beautiful simcha in the world. And you tell the guy, I told you it was nice. Yeah, your sister-in-law wants to flatter you because she wants you to do a sheva brachas next month. No, she's an honest person. Really? She's honest? What happened last week in the mitzvah when your husband... This goes on for like 70 years. You know that, right? <laughs> Either it's this person or that person or that person. But what am I dealing I'm busy dealing with an enemy. And the question is how I deal with it, how effective I am, how ineffective I am, usually ineffective. And some of us, as he says, some people reach unbelievable heights with amuna, with bitachin, with tefillah, with discipline, with sometimes simplicity, Sometimes you had a good mother, or you have a good mother, a good father, good role models, good friends, a good spouse, blessings. And they manage it. They manage it. The Toldus Yaakov Yosef, though, tells us 
that there is another way of avoidah. And that way of avoidah, he says, that's where real geula happens. And the other way of avoidah is very different. That real ability of complete, complete acceptance of every nekuda that comes into me by understanding that even though it's screaming, if you could remove its facades and you could listen to it beyond the external verbiage and the external garments, you will see that it's actually here to be able to teach you exactly who you are, what you need to become, how you can become that person, and where there is dissonance in becoming that person, so that I should be able to work it through. What does this mean practically? What does it look like? You know, every few years there's different uh, models of healing that come up in society from different psychologists and different therapists and different neuroscientists and different neuropsychotherapists. Different models, different models. Mostly Jews. (laughs) It's fascinating. The world of psychoanalysis belongs to the Jewish people. Um, And we understand why. If you're not Jewish, why would you need psychoanalysis, right? You could just be happy and and, and normal. So either we go to therapy, we become therapists, uh, we become psychiatrists, and we, we need psychiatrists, and usually it's both. One of the very, very interesting ones that was developed in the 1980s, but recently it seems like to have gained tremendous momentum, is from a a doctor, a PhD, a Jewish fellow, his name is Richard Schwartz, and he developed a system called IFS, Internal Family Systems. Now he's a very traditional and skeptical scientist and doctor, uh, not an energy spiritual guy, but Chlalmat. It's a Jewish fellow, comes from a family of scientists, And he became a family therapist, trying to help families work out stuff. And as he started that process, he started to realize how every member in the family affects other members in the family. It's not just about me versus me. It's me in the position and in the presence of my brother and my sister, my other brother and my mother and my father, etc. And realizing how those connections could be wholesome, can be damaged, and how it affects everybody. But from there he realized, as he writes, that what happens with families happens within each person. In other words, there's a whole family inside of me. And in his words, and I was very impressed by this, because it's literally, he, doesn't, he probably doesn't know it, but it's literally a quote from the Tanya. He says, one of the greatest mistakes of modern psychology and science is we believe that people have a mono brain. We have one brain. And that brain is supposed to think a certain way. And now when your brain is thinking differently, you're like, what are you doing? And you're going to convince it. He says, that's not true. We don't have one brain. We have many brains. Or we have many, many parts to the brain. And different parts of the brain are going to think in completely different ways. And just because yesterday I thought like this, it doesn't delegitimize the fact that today I'm thinking completely different. There's different parts of me. And each part has something to say. But here's the tragedy. 
You know, in Tanya it says we don't have one consciousness. We have a Nefesh Alakis, Nefesh Bahamas, Nefesh Asichlis. We have a mammalian soul, and we have a reptilian soul, and we have a cognitive soul, and we have a divine soul. There's literally different parts of the brain, and they speak differently. But it takes it one step further, which also for me was very impressive, because the language is constantly used in the, in the Svarim of the Baal Shem Tev and his students, especially the Balatanya. And he says what often happens, he says there's a core self. And the core self is always, always untainted and undamaged. The core self is always full of compassion and creativity. And it's caring and it's confident and it's courageous. The nine C's. And it's happy, it's joyous. And it's not fearful. In a good way, it's not fearful. And it's really full of a desire for deep and meaningful relationships. And it's kind. And it has a deep, deep wisdom and sensitivity. But what happens is, as a result of life's experiences, big ones or small ones, that piece can go into exile. And he names it exile. In all the Svarim of Kabbalah and Chassidus, the term for the core self hidden is called Gullus. And what happens is different parts in our systems develop themselves and they become protectors, not letting you go to the exile because they're afraid that if your inner self comes out, you are going to be in danger. So here is a very simple example I'm going to give. If as a child I couldn't feel love even though I craved it, it's so painful. How do I deal with that pain? How? I'm trying to get love. Every child needs love and I don't get it. How do I deal with it? So very often, I may come to the following conclusion. I'm not deserving of love. I'm not deserving of love. Why am I not deserving of love? Because I'm not deserving of love. Of course I can't get it. I don't deserve it. And then the pain is not so deep. Why am I not deserving of love? I'll come up with enough philosophies. I'm too crazy. I'm a troublemaker. I'm a Russia. Whatever it is, the real child who so wants love goes into exile. It's hidden. If somebody tries to give me love as an adult, I will get so angry at them. Why? My protector has to protect me. That inner child that's going to come out and is going to feel the need for love got me destroyed when I was four years old. I almost died from heartbreak. My protector says, I'm going to protect you, little YY. Or little Dvaitala, or Sarala, Chayala, or Maishala, or Steve, or George, or Helene. I'm going to protect you. There's also firefighters. Firefighters mean if somebody does get close to your exile, they put out the fires. And they create a situation. Marriages happen. People are 50 years old, 60 years old, 70 years old, 40 years old. They're married 20 years, 30 years, 40 years. They're triggering each other. And it's really, really a four-year-old's exile that's being protected by my parts. I have to get angry, I have to get resentful. I have to detach from you, I have to. Because if not, I will die. My protector really believes that. He's doing it since I'm five, since I'm six, since I'm seven. Don't get angry at the protector. What looks like a Yetzirah is really somebody who's trying to help you survive. But this is the language he knows. You have to understand him. And you have to say, come, let's talk. Let me hear. And suddenly you realize the person is one. A person is a lakus. A person is a tzalim a lakus. A person is a chelik a 
And Hashem's infinity flows through everything. But sometimes there's a disruption in my own consciousness. So everything I'm calling a Sahara on a much, much deeper level is not bad at all. It just needs to be understood. It's trying to protect something. It's trying to put out a fire. In its mind, it's trying to cope in the best way possible to avoid death, crazy pain, insanity, and a catastrophe. This needs a lot, a lot of inner self-awareness. This is not, uh, I know I'm like, you know, throwing all this out. This is not a one-minute exercise. And I can do it today. But tomorrow, a different protector emerges. That's the Yetzirah coming back and back and back. And you know what the worst thing that happens is? I call it a Yetzirah. If I call it a Yetzirah, what happens? I get angry at it. I suppress it. I'm going to kill you. Don't kill me. I'm your friend. I'm not your enemy. I'm your friend. You just have to understand how I am trying to ultimately protect your life so that you should be able to become the person you could become. And if you can realize that, what happens is we can talk to it and let it open up space and say, I'm going to protect you. I'm not two years old. I'm 50 years old. I'm 40 years old. I'm 60 years old. I'm going to protect you. I know what you're afraid of. Can I talk to my exile? Can I talk to my neshama? Can I talk to that child? It's very emotional. Everybody starts sobbing. But the part gives space. Sometimes there's 20 parts who are ready to attack. It's like, I get you. Thank you. Thank you. I love you. You protected me 40 years. Can you give me a little space? I want to talk to my exile. I want to talk to my protector. And the exile needs to come out. The exile needs to come out from Gullus, needs to come out from Mitzrayim, needs to come out from the Mezar. And in the process, the protectors could start dancing and reassume the function that they were designed to have. Rather than obstructing my soul, they were there to play a very interesting part in the symphony of human nature. Because a healthy family is a family where there's integration. A healthy system is a system where there's integration. Like a symphony. A healthy emotional system is all the parts interact with each other. Everyone has a role to play. It's all Enoid Mulvadai. Even that Yetzirah, that horrible, horrible guy in me, that's causing me all the pain in the world and all the stress and all the anxiety, and I hate you and I'm angry at you, and you destroy my life. We know those voices, right? You don't, I know. All those voices, they're horrible voices. They're horrible voices. The Toldus Yaakov Yezim says, you can fight them, but you can also do something else. You can look inside of them. You can embrace them. Don't judge them. Acknowledge. Don't become a victim of the outer facade. This is not a message to surrender to the Yetzirah. This is a message to look what is beyond the language and the facade, and you'll see that there's no detachment from Hashem inside of you. No part of you is detached from the source. I have to say that he named his recent book, Schwartz named his recent book, No Bad Parts. No Bad Parts. I looked at it. The Mishnah says, Ultimate vision of Yiddishkeit is the Yetzir Hara becomes like the Yetzir Toiv. Bavrama Bulefi was a great Kabbalist. He said, Yud Kei Vav Kei, Hashem's name, Yud Hei Vav Hei. 
is Yetzer HaToiv v'Yetzer HaRa. Oyev is Oyev. But that's a second stage in Tikkun. That's a Geula type of Tikkun. It's no qu- in my mind, in my mind, it seems to me, when people criticize a whole generation and say this is a generation that's obsessed with emotions because everybody became narcissistic and self-centered and selfish and everything is I, 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 iPhone, iPod, iPad. I, 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 and if there's a game called We, it's spelled with two eyes. How I feel, and I feel, I don't feel, I do feel, I do feel, I'm miserable, I'm not miserable. Who cares if you're miserable? I once asked my grandmother, she was a tzadik, I said, are you happy? She looked at me like I literally fell off a planet that's like 29 billion light years away. Since when was that part of the equation? She said in Yiddish, Herof Haken Achainik. You know what that means? It's a beautiful expression. So I said, what should I do instead? She said, Hab Chasana. <laughs> it was brilliant. I loved it. And she said, Hab Chasana, Zaymatzliach, Breng Mashiach, Un Herof Reiden Narishkaiten. You see, I followed her advice. <laughs> It's important to understand that. As Gullus was so thick and dense, you have to admire, not just admire, adore, and look up to generations of generations of soldiers who did not allow negativity, toxicity, pain, endless pain, to destroy them. After the Holocaust, it would have been easy for everybody to say, we're never getting married again. There were Jews who couldn't get married. Elie Wiesel for years refused to get me to say, I'm going to bring children to a world that was ready to gas billions of children and nobody said a word? Why should I bring children to such a world? Let us die out and that's it. We know cultures of people who in pain become suicide bombers. Jews could have done that. They didn't. They chose life. They chose love. They chose faith. They chose rebuilding families and communities. Did it come with a price? Of course it came with a price. It came with a big price. It's called Hitler's long arm. And it's way before Hitler. Yemach Shemai. Came. Holocaust survivors' children know exactly what happened in their houses. Some of you grew up with fathers screaming in the middle of the night. People who saw what they saw, all you could be is an awe and reverence of what they did with the brokenness that they experienced all over the place. Some of them never spoke. Yeah, you never spoke. For years, people didn't speak, you know. For years, nobody spoke. There were even survivors who told me that for for decades, they were embarrassed to say they were in Auschwitz. Imagine, it became a a source of shame. Later, after Eichmann was captured, it became much more popular, and then it became, you know, they were respected. But there were years, I heard from Elie Wiesel himself and others, they said they were embarrassed to tell people because people would like look at them. Why didn't you fight back? Oh, sure. Everybody could just fight back. A woman with six children going to the gas chambers could fight Hitler's army of 80 million. The awe, the reverence is important. But now I want to go to the other side. There comes a time that's closer and closer to Geula. And when there comes a time that's closer and closer to Geula, the Rebbeinu Shalom invites us into a new model. And not a new model, just another layer of the model. And that says, ultimately, you want to usher in a life and a world 
of complete oneness. What's Geula? Geula is that the Geula is Geula. Geula is realizing that all those voices inside of me, all my Yetzirahs, every single one of them, if I could look deeply, if I could become truly aware of what's happening, and this is hard work, but it's the real work, suddenly instead of becoming a source of embarrassment, it actually becomes a source of enlightenment. Somehow in each voice of anxiety and distress, in each voice of even promiscuity, in each voice of, of, of anger, in each trigger, in each trigger, there's a little Mashiach. In each trigger, there's a little gula. Now this doesn't mean I'm triggered, let me punch, let me, let me break the window. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying the trigger is holy. The trigger is containing something very, very deep, something very genuine. Something very authentic. I don't have to suppress. You don't have to repress. And if I'm being triggered by that itself, that trigger is also a path to redemption. (laughs) And the fact that I'm being triggered by your triggers, and I'm being even more triggered by the fact that you told me you were triggered, that's fine. I don't have to fight. I don't have to fight. We could relax. (laughs) We could stop fighting. When Mashiach comes, when the Gula comes, there's no fight. So he says, start living a reality where you could stop fighting. You can really, really embrace. And embrace all those parts. Now we're not used to it. What do you mean, stop fighting? Ayyid fights! Lefum Tzara He says, let me just tell you, don't think there's no fight. It's a different type of fight. You know why? Because here the fight is of how to embrace my thoughts rather than fight them. That's a fight. Peace can be the hardest fight of all. You know that. Making peace sometimes is very, very hard. Making peace with my enemy is hard. Not easy to make a peace treaty. Can I turn to all parts and say, Chevra, I want to make peace. I love you. It's hard. It's hard to make peace inside of myself. Especially when he's going to come back tomorrow and say, I'll prove to you that I hate you. And I say, we're good. Give me a hug. And tomorrow there's going to be another mutation. Sabuni gam svavuni. And then he's going to come like a bee with honey. Sabuni chitvari. So that's Hashamnu. What's Hashamnu? Hashamnu is, we get up. One way of saying Hashamnu is, we the community sinned. Another way of saying Hashamnu is, every sin I did was because of my Yetzirah. The real sin was, The real mistake was, I didn't realize that it was you. (laughs) I thought I'm a horrible person. I thought I'm a sinner. I didn't realize that it was all you. I didn't realize that the Omar, Oyev, Erdoif, Asigachalek was really, really a manifestation of some form of a divine message. I didn't get it. I just saw it as my enemy, and I got locked up further and further. But if I could say a shamnu, my real sin was I didn't realize it was a shamnu. I didn't realize that it was all you. And therefore I got into this rut, this rut of alienation. That itself is the most healing component. Because if you were there, it means ultimately that all of it is part of my growth. All of, all of it is part of me embracing myself and you. All of it is part of our relationship. 
Have a wonderful week. A good gebenshtyar, a ksivav achsimatayva to one and all. May Hashem fulfill this year all of your heart's desires and it be a year of inner and outer ka'ula. Thank you. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.